From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Ah, and welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. Open lines this hour. You can ask me anything. Now, don't ask me for a veal recipe. This is the conspiracy show after all. However, I will gladly entertain calls regarding political intrigue and subterfuge on the national or international stage. I welcome all calls about paranormal encounters, UFOs, things that go bump in the night. We just, of course, passed Halloween. So maybe you have a, a ghost story that you need to uh, unburden yourself of. There I went and did it. I ended a sentence with a preposition. You know you're not supposed to do that, Owen? You never end a sentence with a preposition, and I just did it. However, uh, anyway, I think you get the drill. After about 20 years on the airwaves toiling in the conspiracy paranormal arena, uh, I think you, you know how this goes. Open lines this hour. Uh, say, how are you enjoying the return to standard time? So we gained an hour's sleep last night. I think it's a fad. I give it about six months. That, that's actually a Stephen Wright joke. And I dust that off, uh, well, every six months. And I'll tell it again March 2020 when we, re, we, we return to daylight savings time. <laughs> Uh, so, as I say, the phone lines are open and available, and my technical producer tonight, and every Sunday now, Owen Wolf, uh, will be handling the phones, and he'll take your call, so be nice, be courteous, and he'll do his best to get you uh, on the air. All we need is your first name, where you're calling from, and a line or two about what you want to talk about. Now, here are the phone lines, anywhere in Canada or the United States. Uh, I don't know about Mexico, Guatemala, I'm not sure about down there, but certainly in the continental United States uh, and here across Canada, you can call 1-866-740-4740, 1-866-740-4740. And let me just take a moment to uh, give you a heads up. What's coming up in hour two of this transmission? Author, paranormal researcher, Marie D. Jones will be here to discuss something called the time prompt phenomenon. And I'm guessing you know what it is. Maybe you've never heard it called that, a time prompt. Let me explain. Does this ever happen to you? You look over at the digital clock on your nightstand, the digital clock in your car, and whenever you happen to glance over, odds are it'll be the same numbers flashing back at you, like 11-11, 12-12. For me... It's 1010. What is that all about? It's like the universe is trying to get our attention. It's trying to tell us something. Well, anyway, that's the time prompt phenomenon. And Marie D. Jones is the co-author of 1111, the time prompt phenomenon. Her co-author, Larry Flaxman, who is another fine paranormal researcher, he was to join me in this hour, and then she was going to take hour two. Marie was going to be with me uh, hour two. We were going to go full bore the two hours on the time prompt phenomenon. But not too long before showtime, Larry uh, reached out to me, and he has come down with a sore throat. That's going around. Anyway, sorry to hear Larry not feeling well, but I'm quite happy for the opportunity to do open lines with you instead. 
All right, let's uh, welcome Andrew from Mississauga, first order of business. Andrew, welcome aboard. How are you? I'm doing well, Richard. How are you? Terrific. Thank you. Perfect. Um, I just have one quick question. So it's been a while since I listened to you. I'm not sure if you ever covered it, but I would love to hear, let's say, an hour or half hour um, of like information on what's happening with uh, the Epstein thing that's happening in the States. I know uh, new information is coming out every, every, every day that, like, you know, sort of insinuates that it's not really truthful what they're reporting. You know, I would love to hear, let's say, in a month from now, two months from now, if, if you can, like a, a timeline of the Epstein events. That'd be really interesting to listen to, and I'm not sure if you would be down for that or not. I would be totally down for that, and it is time. We did, just after he was arrested, we did an hour, and uh, the gentleman, uh, the uh, the journalist who has sort of been all over that story for some time, his name escapes me, and uh, we could have him back on, but you're right, I mean... So what has the thing that's happened most recently, of course, is now this pathologist that was hired by the Epstein family, uh, who was also invited to observe the autopsy, he is challenging the official uh, findings, which uh, it was ruled a suicide, and he is saying that that uh, based on these X-rays that were just released, based on what he witnessed in the autopsy. Uh, the way the crime scene was handled, that uh, he said it was definitely not a suicide, it was a homicide. And uh, that is not, you know, shocking to many people. There's one little caveat, though, with that, and that is that this particular pathologist uh, was hired by the Epstein family. And here's where it gets kind of interesting. Uh, if it was a suicide, and, of course, you're familiar with life insurance policies. There's always that clause in there. They don't pay out in the case of a suicide. So if it's a homicide, then there would presumably be a life insurance uh, payment made, presumably, to the family. And here they have hired a pathologist who is saying it was a homicide. So that casts a little bit of um, doubt, makes one a little bit skeptical. However... On a gut level, I think most of us, in fact, I think when uh, we did that show, Owen, you, you may recall this, my technical producer on the other side of the glass, it seems to me that I predicted or my guest predicted shortly after Epstein's arrest that he would be suicided, which is a term we use in the conspiracy field, meaning he would be taken care of and it would be made to look like a suicide. Uh, but um, uh, so... And, and here's the, another little interesting thing that's happening now. I was watching on Fox News, and someone was being interviewed uh, on another matter. He was a veteran. He was. Um, it, it may have had to do with the, the the dog that was used in the Baghdadi raid. And they were talking about this particular breed of dog. And this veteran was on there talking with, I believe, uh, Waters. Uh, and um, at the end. He just sort of slid this in there at the very end, and he said, oh, and by the way, uh, Epstein did not commit suicide or something like that. And this this has gone viral, and now everyone is sort of doing this on media. What do you think, Andrew? Suicide? Homicide? Well, he knew a lot of important people and a lot of important secrets. So that being said, you know, there would be reasons for that to happen. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, I mean, imagine if he were put on the stand or given the opportunity to cop a plea or, you know, reduced sentencing in exchange for naming names of associates. I mean, the people that he would bring down, and we already know who some of those might be, 
it would just be earth-shattering, I would think. So I can't imagine why he would be allowed to live. But then you just look at the circumstances. You know, two security cameras out of order. That's always the case, right? It's always the case. The, the, The video cameras that were supposed to be Operating in the Alma Tunnel in Paris, where where uh, Princess Diana uh, died, uh, all of those video cameras were not operating that night. The video cameras uh, surrounded thousands of video cameras, security cameras surrounding the Pentagon that should have captured a very clear image of whatever flew into that building. Not operating apparently that night, and here we have the uh, the, the two security cameras um, watching over. Um, who was at the time the most famous prisoner or infamous prisoner alive, not operating that night. And then the two guards, mysteriously both, fell asleep. Uh, And he's taken off suicide watch like a week after he attempted suicide. I mean, it it really confounds me. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for the call, and I'm going to take you up on that. I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a follow up on that for sure. Have a good night, Richard. Thank you. All right, thank you. Ah, uh, yes, the Epstein case. Not many of us were surprised, I don't think. And of course, then there is the other story that uh, that he's still alive, presumably. I don't know, living in Qatar with Michael Jackson. I don't know. Uh, a, f- a friend of mine. I'll, I'll name it, George Freund, who's been on the program a number of times, and the host of a, a pretty popular podcast called Conspiracy Cafe, and he also blogs, and he's a, um, a broadcaster. He uh, he steps in and fills in on the uh, the Power Hour down in the United States occasionally, and he sent me pictures of Epstein. Is it Epstein or Epstein? I don't I don't know. I, can, I always get it mixed up. Anyway, uh, pictures before. When he was alive, and then after the of the um, the corpse, and he zeroed in on the earlobes. And I don't know what it is about earlobes. I guess they're very unique, like fingerprints. But he said they don't match. Whoever that was that they found dead in the cell was not Jeffrey Epstein. The earlobes don't match. And I never know what to make of those photographs. But there is that school of thought that Epstein is. Alive. But so many things in that case, again, don't add up. It has been strongly suggested that he did not make his money as a hedge fund manager. He was a hedge fund manager in name only. This guy was a multi-multi-billionaire. And the theory goes that he made, I think it's more than a theory now, I think it's been pretty much substantiated that he made his money blackmailing foreign dignitaries, Domestic dignitaries, business people, politicians, world leaders. It was a honey trap. The most odious, disgusting kind of honey trap, utilizing young underage girls who were then videotaped in compromising positions with these world leaders, dignitaries, businessmen, etc. And then Jeffrey had the goods on them. Blackmail. The question is, who was behind Jeffrey Epstein? Who was protecting Jeffrey Epstein from prosecution, and it has also been suggested that he was an intelligence asset. And that original deal, the prosecution, in which he got off with a slap on the wrist, yes, he was registered as a sex offender, but other than that, he was given a proverbial slap on the wrist. That had to have been approved 
at the highest level. This would have been under George W. Bush's watch and whoever his attorney general was. I believe it was Gonzalez at the time. So were they protecting him because the information that they were getting or the the blackmail you know, was used as leverage against other world leaders? Now the question is, will we ever know? Will we ever find out? All right, let's say hello to Kevin. Hi, Richard. Hi there. I was wondering if you could help me understand why the globalists seem to be using Islam and Muslims to advance the globalist cause when they're so... Like, everything that globalists believe is so in conflict with Islam. Like, does that make sense to anybody? Well, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that I would characterize it that the globalists are using uh, uh, Islam. What I would say is that on the left, we have very interesting alliances. Those are kind of confusing to me. Yes. But what I would say, just in, in, ver- in very broad brush strokes about what I would call the progressive uh, movement and who's aligned against who and so forth. I just find it, and I'm not talking about uh, Islam or any particular group here, I'm just saying the the progressive agenda and the alliances that seem rather peculiar. To me, it's an alliance of convenience because for the moment and for a myriad of reasons, they are all opposed to, I would say, Western civilization or the values of Western civilization. And so... There may be some radical elements in those different groups who find a temporary or made a temporary truce, where at other times they might be opposed to each other. Uh, but it's like you're looking at your opponent and you just pick up the, the nearest bludgeon that you can without thinking too much, you know, about what the repercussions are. You're just picking it up because you need a bludgeon right away to attack your opponent. And so that, I think, in part explains some of the allegiances that we're seeing on the progressive left that don't necessarily make sense on the surface. Does that make sense? Yes. yes it's just uh, I'm thinking of all of the Muslims uh, coming into North America that uh, they seem to get preferential treatment, if you will. Well, I want to, I, we need to be careful about that. Yes, yes, I understand. But I think you can probably guess where I'm going. I'm, I'm not trying to be anti-Islam or anti-Muslim in any way. Uh, it's just that, as I say, the uh, as you said, the progressives are so in favor of like gay marriage and other things that Islam is in such conflict with, and and I am too. And uh, it just, as you say, it just seems like such an uneasy alliance. Uh, I just can't make sense of it. Well, for example, the migrants in Europe are being used. That's about low wages. And at a certain point, the European Union looked at their demographics and, and realized that they don't, they need more workers. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, the West is bombing the hell out of Libya and Iraq and Syria and driving uh, people out of those countries and into Europe. And, oh, look, what a convenience. We need young low-wage workers, and they arrive just in time. Coincidence? Uh, or am I being extremely cynical in connecting those dots? I think not. So, you know what? To a certain extent, we're all being used and manipulated and sort of placed in opposition to one another, where, ne- where in some cases there, ne- there need not be opposition, but we're being, you know, pitted against. This is what they... they. <laughs> this is what is done in society. When I say they, okay, the owners of the system, call them what you want. But it's divide and conquer. You pit one group against another. 
and uh, you know we all suffer as a result. And yes. many of those grievances that we we have, I think, are sometimes they are manufactured and part of the script. I don't know if that answers your question, Kevin, but that's how I read it, and that's okay. uh, for what it's worth. Uh, could I ask one more quick question? Richard? Sure. Do you think that uh, Brexit is still going to happen? Oh gosh, it just won't die, will it? I hope. Oh, part of me thinks the strategy is just to, to exhaust one side to the point where they'll just capitulate. And they just say, all right, fine, we're staying in. I can't take this anymore. It's like this battle of attrition, or they're just kind of wearing people down. It's like the water torture. We get those that are that voted in favor of Brexit, and I, you know, if I were uh, a, a citizen of Great Britain, I would have, I would have voted for Brexit. I, you know, I believe in the nation state, but they get their hopes up, and then they're dashed, and then along comes Boris Johnson, and he seems like he, you know, he's going to get things done. And then, you know, October 31st comes and, and uh, goes. And again, uh, extended, extended, extended. I think people are getting so fed up. At a certain point, they're just going to say, I, I, I give up. No mas. I resign. Yes. I hope not, though. I, I mean, I hope Britain gets out and over the wall. And then, you know, they can show the other countries over in, in Europe that are contemplating it, that it can be done. Because immediately upon leaving... I think even a no deal would be the way to go. Because immediately upon uh, leaving the European Union, they'll get a free trade uh, agreement with the United States. Canada would probably sign on. Mexico, the same. There'll be a number of countries willing uh, to do that kind of a deal with Britain. And once other countries that are on the cusp, I don't know whether it's a country like uh, uh, Hungary or, or Poland or Italy, maybe, they might see that and say, okay, we can do this too. And then, then it'll be a domino effect. But that first nut is proving very tough to crack. But we'll see. For sure. Kevin, thank you for your call. Thanks, Richard. All right. We'll uh, take a quick time. I'll come back. And more of your calls. Open lines for this hour. And Marie D. Jones, the uh, author of, or the co-author of 1111, The Time Prompt Phenomenon, is coming up. Stay with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Next week on the program, the return of Canada's Edgar Cayce, Dr. Douglas James Cottrell, the man with X-ray eyes. Not sure if you had a chance to listen to uh, Douglas on Coast to Coast uh, with me recently, and we conducted a remote viewing experiment. We used to do them on, on this program, and... Excuse me, we've done a couple on, on Coast to Coast, uh, and I would have to characterize both of them as smashing successes. And uh, this last one, yours truly, I have to tell you, after that uh, program, I was walking on air. I participated in the remote viewing experiment, as did all the listeners. Douglas was, I don't know, in London, Ontario, what is that, an hour and a half down the, uh, the, the highway here, and had a... a an object on his desk hidden from my view. He sent photos only to the uh, coast producer and the webmaster and um, gave us some basic instructions, remote viewing protocols and so forth. And I actually named the object. I described it and named it. And there were a couple of listeners that were sort of close to, had some hits, as they say. Uh, but Douglas will be back on uh, this program next week. 
And we'll talk about that experiment. Maybe we'll conduct uh, an, another one here as well. Although I'm thinking, do I really want to push my luck? You know, like I'm two or three, three and O oh now. I'm three for three, I think, by my last count. However, we'll speak with Douglas James Cottrell and also David John Oates because it's the second show of the month and he always joins us for a spell in the first hour with some more reverse speech clips. And I believe we're going to talk uh, Justin Trudeau, play some of his forward speech and then play it backwards and hear what his unconscious mind is really thinking. Oh, that'll be good. That'll be good. Before we get back to the phones, I wanted to, to mention this. There's a, there's a nuclear activist. His name is Bruce Gagnon. And I'm not familiar with this gentleman, but I'm, I'm reading here online where he is suggesting that some UFOs may be black budget Space Force vehicles. A former Air Force veteran who served in Vietnam... Gagnon is the coordinator of the Global Network Against Weapons and Nuclear Power in Space and has been involved in numerous campaigns and protests condemning the use of nuclear arms and the potential proliferation of weapons in space. He's particularly concerned about the so-called Space Force that U.S. President Donald Trump announced back in 2018, set up to prevent countries such as Russia and China from gaining a foothold before the United States. This new branch of the military could ultimately lead to the full-on space conflicts and the development of space-based weapon platforms in orbit around the Earth. In a recent interview with the Daily Star, I believe that's a Great Britain, Gagnon even suggested that some of the UFOs people have been seeing are actually prototype space force vehicles developed in secret on a black budget. Quote, I think it's possible, I spoke about the secret military budget, the black budget, and the development of advanced technologies, and it is possible that some of these so-called crafts are these new technologies, he said. Well, (laughs) we've been talking about that for, what, maybe 20 years? I would say probably the vast majority of sightings of what people think are alien-piloted craft are, in fact, secret military Black budget technology. Nothing new there. However, it's interesting that we have someone uh, like this gentleman, Bruce Gagnon, coming out and, and saying that. Gagnon even recalled witnessing a photograph of one such vehicle while attending a space militarization peace talk. It was the Northrop Grumman B-21 Raider, an upcoming long-range stealth bomber capable of delivering conventional and nuclear payloads. He noted that the image, which hasn't been made public, was like something out of space. I'm sure they're testing technologies for space warfare that we can't even imagine, but I know for sure, he said. Uh, Well, again, I uh, I quote the late Ben Rich, the uh, former director of Skunk Works, who said, We have out there in the desert, in hangars, technology that is 50 years beyond your wildest dreams. So, I have no doubt, and I would say, again, the vast majority of these crafts that people think may be extraterrestrial in origin are made in the good old USA. All right, let's go back to the phones, and uh, this time we'll say hello to Robert in British Columbia. Robert, good evening, good morning, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Oh, hi, Richard. Hi there. Hi, thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Big fan of your show, and uh, I'm a first-time caller. Welcome aboard, sir. Well, thank you. Um, I just wanted to um, perhaps just talk to you or mention, get your thoughts on 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 what you might think about what we're hearing a lot of these days is, uh, you know, Agenda 21, UN Agenda 2030. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I can say that 
in in my town here in Kelowna, boy, I'm really starting to notice a change in the development that really looks a lot like what they talk about um, in those documents. I'm sure you know about uh, sure stack, documents that are you, Yeah, you're, if, if you look at any development in any major center, you're seeing stacked housing with uh, several floors of residential above and then a floor of retail on the main floor. Uh, you're seeing increasingly... Uh, you know, bike lanes, uh, light rapid transit, subways, uh, make uh, cities that are making it uh, less and less car friendly. Uh, they're trying to get us out of the cars. They're, our cars, they're trying to get us onto mass transit. Uh, they're increasing the density. They're calling them walkable neighborhoods. Uh, I mean, yes. aesthetically, uh, I don't object. And, and in principle, the idea... Uh, of utilizing, you know, our downtowns, uh, in a, in a better way, increasing the density. I don't have a problem with that. Listen, I, to be honest, I mean, I, I don't like the suburbs, uh, the idea of the suburbs. I just, because I, I'm one of these, and it's nothing against people living in there. I mean, I believe, you know, I'm a, I'm a big, um, uh, a fan of, you know, being allowed to live where you want to live and live how you want to live. I'm just saying aesthetically, I'm not a big fan of suburbs. But if you, if you want to live on a, on a nice parcel of land with a two-car garage and have, you know, uh, 2,500 square feet in a backyard and a barbecue, that's wonderful. Please. All more, the more power to you. Uh, but I think there is something to Agenda 30, or 2030, which was previously called, uh, UN Agenda, uh, 21. This blueprint for the 21st century. And, you know, on the one hand, you could say, well, it's voluntary, you know, it's not mandatory, but it doesn't really matter because regional governments are adopting it. Every major center throughout North America, if you look at the official plan of that city, it's got, it has a name that that smacks of what we're talking about, the sustainable development. They'll call it uh, smart yeah. development. They'll call it sustainable this, smart that. And there's no question in my mind that they're, that these planners are making it very difficult for people to remain on the land in rural areas. Uh, they are making it increasingly difficult for landowners to use their land as they see fit. That's correct, yes. And that is having the effect, if the end game is to drive people out of rural areas, let's face it, if you can live, if you've got a couple of acres, you're, you can be pretty self-reliant. You can grow, you got your vegetable plot there, you can raise some chickens, you can live off the well water, heck, you got some land, you could put up a little, uh, some solar panels, you could get off the grid. Um, but if the idea is they want to herd us into the cities where we can be controlled and surveilled, Yes. This is the way to do it. Although, how efficient is it? I still see suburbs springing up all over the place, so I don't know how successful it's going to be. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, it makes me wonder why uh, originally it was Agenda 21 and then they've pushed it back to 2030. Maybe they've realized they, they, they're going to need another 10 years to implement things, uh, you know, more to how they how they like it. You know, but I'm wondering if it all kind of ties in to even as your previous caller was spe- speaking about a little bit, all that mass uh, uh, migration that's moving on, the extreme resistance uh, about uh, uh, England leaving uh, uh, Brexit, even though you know the citizens voted to let's let's leave. 
And, you know, it seems to be a lot of resistance from the EU to to allow them to go out. And uh, it, I just wonder if it's all tied in. It's, it's the giant agenda, so to speak. Well, I think uh, for those that are like-minded, that believe that there should be sort of an administrative state uh, that rules, technocrats that run the world because they're smarter and they know better than the great unwashed, which is you and me and, and everyone mm-hmm. else. They know better. And uh, and some of these people, I think, are, are well-intended. They, you know, they fear for the future of the planet and we can't allow the mob to run things. So democracy and populism and things like that are very irksome to them because they know better. And the nation state is is something that that has to be done away with. Um, and so now you noticed like first the, what they do is they change the language or they attack the language. So all of a sudden now if you talk about the nation state uh then all of a sudden you're you know you're some kind of a fascist. Um, you can't use the word, you know, proud nationalist because uh, because that equates with white nationalist, and of course that's an uh, you know an uh, ugly beyond words segment of society. But they are a, a small and thankfully virtually powerless. Uh, you know, there aren't enough of them to to, to fit in Iverwind Stadium. Is there still an Iverwind Stadium? I don't know. Anyway, there's not a lot of them. Thank God. There aren't a lot of, you know, white nationalists. Yeah. One is too many. Uh, let's put it that way. But um, the, the point is you can't – now you can't say that you're, a, you know, a proud Canadian or you believe in the nation state. See, they attack the language and they move the goalposts over. So now you can't call – you know, in, in New York City, if you call someone uh, an illegal immigrant – you can be fined or, I believe, jailed. Uh, I mean, that's, that can't stand a, a Supreme Court um, uh, challenge. I, I can't think. I mean, the First Amendment, forget about it. It's I, wonder, out the I wonder if that's becoming a bit of new speak, as you might say. Oh, yes. Though. It has arrived. 1984 is here and then some. I've got to take a quick time out. Thank you for the call, Robert. Back with more Thank of the conspiracy. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Uh, welcome back. I'll get back to the phone lines in a moment, but I wanted to uh, mention this. Uh, Spencer Fernando is someone I, uh, that I follow on Twitter and I enjoy his perspective and his writing as SpencerFernando.com News and Commentary. And he writes, uh, the headline he writes, Trudeau government election law crushes free speech, mimics legislation in authoritarian states. And of course, uh, to my American listeners, we just of course went through a, a federal election up here in Canada a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the sub headline, jail for misleading information. Jail for misleading information about politicians is something you would expect to see in a dictatorship, not a free country. How bad and dangerous is the Trudeau government's election law? Even the CBC is ripping into it. Uh, um, Spencer goes on to write, Yes, I was surprised to see that even CBC has raising has been raising concerns about the law. With a report from Evan Dyer, even making the comparison between the law to what we see in authoritarian states. The law is the amended Section 91 of the Elections Act. And here's what it says. Election, Elections Act 91. Um, 
subsection 1, I guess, no person or entity shall, with the intention of affecting the results of an election, make or publish during the election period, A, a false statement that a candidate or prospective candidate, the leader of a political party or a public figure associated with a political party, has committed an offense under an act of parliament or a regulation made under such an act, or under an act of the legislature of a province or a regulation made under such an act, or has been charged with or is under investigation for such an offense, or B, a false statement about the citizenship, place of birth, education, professional qualifications or membership in a group or association of a candidate, a prospective candidate, the leader of a political party, or a public figure associated with a political party. And the penalty for violating the law? Up to five years in jail and or a fine of $50,000. Think about that for a second, Fernando Spencer writes. Five years in jail for a tweet or post or statement about a politician that the government deems to be, quote, end quote, misleading. Here's what Evan Dyer, CBC, wrote about it. No charges have yet been brought under Section 91 relating to the 2019 campaign. Uh, but international experience shows that such laws have become a weapon for governments looking to silence online dissent. Egypt and the Gulf states have aggressively pros- prosecuted social media users over critical comments using laws ostensibly intended to prevent disinformation. It can't be emphasized, Spencer continues, it can't be emphasized enough that if even if CBC is comparing this law to what we see in authoritarian states, then imagine how badly, it, how bad it really is. And the law has already had an impact with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation saying they were more wary about sharing things on social media during the election campaign. This is called libel chill, folks, but worse. Of course, that's exactly what the Liberals want. They want Canadians to be afraid to criticize the government, afraid to slam Trudeau, and afraid to speak out at all. Uh, That's why we must demand that this law be repealed and spread the word about how dangerous and authoritarian it is. As I've said many times, the Trudeau government is moving in a more and more authoritarian direction, and we can't just hope that it will stop on its own. The Canadian people need to demand that it stop, and we need to demand that our free speech and free expression is restored. Again, that's uh, Spencer Fernando, whom I follow on Twitter, and uh, you can read his dispatches at spencerfernando.com. So there you go, an amendment to the Election Act, uh, and uh, it, it, that does, on the face of it, sound quite disturbing. All right, let's say hi to uh, Joseph in Mississauga. Joseph, welcome. Well, uh, good evening, uh, Richard. Hi there. Uh, so I, I just wanted to ask you, I was just listening the other night to uh, Bill Gates. Uh, he was in a, some sort of conference and that, and he mentioned something to the effect that uh, Donald Trump asked for his advice <laughs> on whether uh, he should run a commission on vaccines. Now, unless I'm mistaken, I, I've never heard of uh, Bill. I know Bill Gates is quite the authority in software and whatnot, but have you ever heard of him getting like some sort of degree in epidemiology or anything like this? Like, where does he come off? Well, the authority um, on vaccine. This is the man that none of his children are vaccinated. Well, I don't know. Do we know that for sure? I don't know that. Yeah, none of his children have been vaccinated. How do we know that? 
Well, it's been, there's many instances where they're, they're asked this, and he says none of his children have been back. Well, I don't know if that's the case. However, okay, well, nevertheless. Right. What, what does he know about it? I don't know. An authority on yeah. vaccines is my okay. question. Right. I don't know that he is. I doubt it, that he's an authority. Well, he's, he, the way he's uh, brought across is all of a right. sudden he moves from Microsoft all of a sudden to become an authority. Well, I know he's, like he's all, all okay, he's let me just, Joseph, if I could, if I could jump in and answer your question, Joseph. Uh, just uh, let, let me have a, it is my show after all. If you want to ask me a question, I'd be delighted to answer it. Uh, but if I could get in an edge, a word edgewise, uh, he, I know he's incredibly interested in, in vaccinations and, and the, the bill and his, his wife's name who escapes me, I, I apologize. I don't want to give her a short trip because she's a, obviously a partner in this, uh, the Gates Foundation. Uh, and they give away billions of dollars and, one of the areas that they are very concerned about is in infant mort- uh, mortality rates, and they're trying to Im- improve that in developing world in the developing world. And so, um, they're very interested in vaccination programs uh, t- to try and improve uh, m- infant mortality rates. So that's why he's interested in it. Now, what's what's also interesting is that um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He's still talking. I had to pot him down. I'm sorry, because I, I, otherwise I can't do a show. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. apparently uh, met with uh, with Trump shortly after his election in 2016. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has been very vocal about uh, vaccination injuries and the need to investigate uh, or perhaps even uh, conduct a, a congressional hearing. To, to actually talk about this, the efficacy of certain vaccinations and the safety of certain vaccinations. Uh, and it, it has been suggested that perhaps Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has Donald Trump's ear on this matter. So I don't know if that's what Bill Gates is talking about. Um, however, it is interesting. Wouldn't it be fascinating if we had a congressional hearing and we had, for example, members of the CDC subpoenaed uh, to talk about the safety and efficacy of certain vaccines. Uh, that's about all I have to say on that matter. But Joseph, I'm sure you're still talking and you have a lot to say. We'll do it. We'll pick it up another time. But thank you for the call nonetheless. And uh, let's say hi to KC, who is in Connecticut. Hello, KC. Welcome. Hey, uh, how are you doing today? I'm well. Yeah, hey, so I just wanted to, to follow up. I was listening to this person uh, be very worried that, you know, this, kind of density stuff is to try to kick people off rural land, um, and it's really not. Uh, you know, I, I think it's really there to build people into uh, consumerism. So, you know, they, they, they really want you to kind of be living above the store so that if you want to go buy something, you can just, like, go downstairs and get it. You know, it's not like you have to go drive to wherever to do you know, and, and, and buy something. So, um, you know, and then it, it, on top of it, I'm sure they're really trying to finance the new, uh, uh, you know, housing so that, uh, you know, you kind of get trapped in kind of that debt type situation there too. So that's, well, I think more, more of the strategy versus kind of trying to get people off rural land. Well, I, I've talked to, uh, I did a, a TV episode Actually, it, was, it hasn't been broadcast as yet. We're hoping maybe to do a season five of the conspiracy show. And in fact, I just finished scripting 
an, an episode on UN Agenda uh, 21, or as it now is referred to as Agenda 2030. And as part of that, you know, doing some research and talking to landowners, particularly up in near San Jose and and uh, in California, uh, and many of them tell a similar story about the, the regulations preventing them from doing what they want on their land, from developing their land, the private property. And it, and the takeaway for me was that pri- private property rights are under siege in certain quarters. Uh, and again, if you look at the names of, if you, if you bother and you go and you, you find out what is the official plan for your county or your, your region, uh, they all they all have this these buzzwords sustainable this and smart this Calgary Toronto Vancouver San Francisco you name it uh, and yes ostensibly the, these are volunteer uh, these are um, this is a volunteer no you know it wasn't um, it wasn't you know part of a treaty or anything uh, in the United States they they didn't sign on. The federal government didn't sign on, but again, the state governments and the city and county governments are all buying into this. And um, as I said to that caller previously, yeah, I don't think it's being very successful in driving people off the land. But you, if you talk to people who live in rural areas, uh, you know they are being told you can't use the water on your own property. Uh, or a certain area will be declared, uh, you know, some sort of a habitat for some, I don't know, rare species of frog. And so you can't cut a tree down here and you, on your own property. This is happening. There's no question it's happening. Uh, will it be successful? I'm not sure. Casey, thank you for the call. We'll uh, yeah. continue with open yeah, lines no, on the I'm other side mind. right here on The Conspiracy Show. Thank you. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Oh, welcome back. Paranormal researcher, author, Marie D. Jones is waiting in the wings. She'll join us after the top of the hour to talk about uh, the time prompt phenomenon. And um, for me, as a, basically in a nutshell, <clears throat> excuse me, if you, if you find yourself always looking over to a digital clock, I don't know, I, and this may be a phenomenon that is restricted to the digital age. I don't know that, you know, people were necessarily finding this when they relied on sundials or analog clocks. Uh, but in the digital age, certainly, how often does this happen to you? You turn, you look at the digital clock, and it's it's 11.11 or 10.10, which is the, the number, the numbers, the sequence that haunts me and follows me wherever I go. Does that happen to you? 12.12. What is that all about? Maybe it, you know, it could be 1122 or something. I don't know, but the sequence, this mysterious sign, is it the universe trying to get our attention? Uh, anyway, Marie Jones has uh, co-authored a book called 1111, which is apparently the most common time prompt that people see. 1111, the time prompt phenomenon, and she'll join, join us uh, shortly to uh, explore that. And we'll try and unravel that mystery as best we can in the uh, the time provided. Uh, I, I wanted to bring this to your attention too. And uh, I don't know how many of you have uh, this uh, Amazon Echo device in your house. Alexa. Owen, do you have that? I have an Alexa, yeah. You have an Alexa? Uh, well, check this out. Police in Florida 
are investigating whether they have stumbled on a silent witness to a possible murder, and they're trying to get the truth from her, quote, end quote. Sylvia Galva Crespo, 32, was killed by a spear, oh, uh, to the chest at home in uh, Hallandale Beach, Florida, north of Miami in July, which her husband, Adam Crespo, 43, has portrayed as a mysterious accident. But police believe the Amazon Echo smart speaker device in their home, known as Alexa, because of the common wake word used to activate them, may have heard and recorded something relevant during the fatal altercation. When the couple argued after a night out, the Sun Sentinel reported, it's believed that evidence of crimes, audio recordings, capture the attack on victim Sylvia Crespo that occurred in the main bedroom, may be found on the server, maintained by or for Amazon. Police wrote in a legal filing, Adam Crespo is charged with second-degree murder. We did receive recordings, and we are in the process of analyzing the information that was sent to us. The Hallandale Beach Police Department spokesman, Sergeant Pedro Abut, told the Sun Sentinel, when police were called at the home in July, they found Sylvia Galva Crespo bleeding profusely with a friend of the woman who had been uh, out with the couple trying to save her life. Adam Crespo said the spear had snapped during the altercation and the 12-inch blade had somehow pierced his wife's chest. He pulled the blade out, hoping it was not too bad, but she died. The friend said she heard the couple arguing, but did not know what it was about. Investigators now wonder if there was any chance Alexa was awoken at any time during the incident and recorded anything useful to getting to the bottom of the woman's gruesome death. Items using smart technology, often known as the Internet of Things, do have a certain capacity to eavesdrop in some circumstances and have come up in criminal cases before. Crespo is free on $65,000 bond and denies the offense. The case continues. My word. Uh, all right. Let's uh, say hello to Rochelle here in Toronto. Hi, Richard. Hi there. I wanted to ask you if you thought about doing a program on Monterey Pop because so many of the people died in such a short duration of time. The Monterey Pop Festival of 1967. Yes. You're talking about Jimi Hendrix and Janice. Janice and Kent Heat, Al Wilson from Kent Heat. Oh, that's right, right. What year did he die? Was it around 70, 71? I I think he died uh, 70. And was he part of the 27 Club? Uh, He was. Hmm. He he died right before Kent Heat were going to go on tour. Right, right. And uh, let's see, who else was at the Monterey Pop Festival? Just so many, and then... It was a little bit later, but Mama Cassellyad and Keith Moon. Right, Jefferson. Just so was, many. Uh, Jefferson Airplane appear there? Yes. Right, right. Just so many. Um, I, I mean, I've done shows. I had a, a podcast called The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone, right. and uh, I haven't done an. Ep- I didn't do an ep- episode exclusively about the Monterey Pop Festival, but I, I've I've talked about the Twenty Seven Club uh, with the, my my dear friend, the late R. Gary Patterson, on a right. number of occasions. Um. And I, I did do an episode on, um, oh, he was the Acid King, the guy that provided the acid for not only the Grateful Dead, he was their producer, uh, Owsley Stanley. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, um, it's been rumored that he was, you know, connected with the CIA. And, right. Uh, but who knows? Uh, but, you know, that's, that's interesting. I, I certainly would be willing to delve into that. Oh, that would be cool. Okay, Rochelle, thank you so much. I appreciate the, you, uh, the tip. The Monterey Bye-bye. Pop Festival. 1967. Ah, the summer of love. All right. Well, Marie Jones is coming up next. I hope you'll be along for that ride. Just a quick reminder. 
Get on up to strangeplanet.ca. That's my website, strangeplanet.ca. Do a, uh, a quick register on the website. Just register. Takes a couple of seconds. Type in your email and then you get, um, you get my, uh, my newsletter, my free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum. Uh, and it just drops right into your mailbox. Easy as that. Inner Sanctum. Again, strangeplanet.ca. All right, back with uh, the time prompt phenomenon in a moment. <laughs> 